The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Welcome, and uh, yeah, good morning. We're going to continue our messages through the book of Genesis. Uh, And so this morning, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 9. Uh, Towards the end, starting in verse 18, we'll we'll, um, go through that uh, here in just a moment. Um, But I want to draw our memories back long time ago, last week. Um, we, we talked last week about this um, this unique time that Noah um, was going through. So the, the flood had receded, and now out of the ark, um, God made a special covenant with Noah and his sons. He blesses them, and then uh, also makes this covenant with all of the earth that he will no longer flood the earth, the total, all the earth for judgment, um, and makes this promise, this grandiose um, um, promise, and we see a lot of grace and this uh, compassion and God uh, working with with somebody He's chosen and protected through this whole flood, and that was all really nice. Now today things are going to get weird in the Book of Genesis, um, and uh, we are going to see a little bit of experience of Noah Noah um, kind of falling from that grace almost immediately, and uh, and then uh, Ham his son also and some of his. Uh, failings. We're going to spend some time taking a look at that, taking a look at the big picture, what the Bible is going for here, like why this is an important story uh, for for the entirety of Scripture. But also, I want to take a look at it on a micro scale, um, looking at how this pattern exists, not only in this big part in in the Bible, but also even just in the the repetition of our life. And so um, I'm going to read the passage for us uh, in its entirety, and I'll I'll pray as we... uh, Look for God to help us understand. So uh, Genesis, or Genesis chapter 9, verse 18 says this. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these people the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk, and laid and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on, their, on both their shoulders and walked backward and covered their naked, the nakedness of the father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from the wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years, All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Let's pray. God, we come to your word, and we are here to hear from it. God, had we written a story, we would write things differently. And and it's in that reality that we acknowledge that, God, you are the true author of this. Because even in these dark moments of history, we see your hand, we see your grace and your love. 
So God, help us to navigate this passage this morning. May your spirit enlighten us to the realities of it and help us to, to grow more confident in, in how you care for us and God, that you have a plan for this world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, as we look into this passage, uh, really our main point is going to be focusing around hoping in God's heart during despair and uncertainty. Um, that's going to be our main driving um, thought throughout this whole this whole passage. Um, because as we go through this, even though it is a dramatic and somewhat sad turn of events, I think that there are some highlighting um, points from this that we can pull and see that God is in charge and that he does care for us. And there's hope even in this situation. So as I mentioned before, um, last week we, we saw this unique uh, working of God where almost it, it you know, has this air of um, a new creation. Because God is speaking to Noah, and he blesses Noah and his sons, and in that process tells him, be fruitful and multiply. We remember this, that that was um, God's focus on, on Noah and his sons' lives. So we almost see an echo of what happened in Genesis 2, um, and kind of reaffirming, this is the mandate for you to grow as a people. Um, and so we see it again, in, in, uh, as we saw last week. Um, and so this week, we see that that grace moment really falls um, in this climactic event, right on the heels of God's grace. And as we look at this, we kind of see a second fall, so to speak. And in that, I think the, our first point here, despair of our sin's persistence. Because, again, we just saw God working in a miraculous way, right? Showing care and, and focus on Noah and his family. And now we're seeing this scenario play out. Again, after seeing God work graciously. Uh, I'll read those verses again. So verses 20 um, through 24, or 23. It says, Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth, uh, took a garment, laid it on their both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So again, we see this kind of dramatic falling of Noah, because there had been this expectation that Noah could possibly be this this new deliverer. Right, he's going to lead these people. He's going to create this new world, um, and from him, the whole world's going to populate again. But what we see here is not what we'd expect to be the next steps of someone like that. What we see is somebody falling into this this shame and nakedness. Um, it's noteworthy to mention that Hebrews 11 still looks back on Noah as a person who it does exemplify faith and following God. And so what we're picking up here is that God is using Noah, imperfect as he is, to continue his progress. But as we read this right now, we see that he is not that Savior. He is not the one who's going to deliver these people ultimately. Um, he was used by God in an important part, but that important piece had its limits. And so we see, um, we see uh, Noah in this state. 
And then now we look over at Ham, right? And we're looking at the curse that happens over Ham and Canaan, uh, his son. And we're wondering, what, so what did, what did Ham do, right? If you read this again, like verse 22, uh, no, um, oh yeah, and is it verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of, of his father and told his two brothers outside. Well, that is the extent of Ham, Ham's sin there that we see. So the question is like, what, what's going on with Ham? And now, if I were just some guy and you asked me, I would say, oh, what are you asking me for? But... I've spent some time looking at this, several commentaries, and so now I can say confidently, I don't know. What are you asking me for? I had a little psych reference, if you've seen that show. Um, my, I, I, there's a couple of different varying uh, opinions on what could have happened here, and really, at the end of the day, I don't have a great answer for this, but there are a couple options that could have happened. So one of the, ma- one of the main thoughts, um, it, it ties into, um, so Moses, obviously, in scripting uh, and putting down, together the information for Genesis, um, also wrote the book of Leviticus. And there's some similar terminology in the book of Leviticus. Um, and uh, and it, this one, I'll just read it for us. It says, if a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. So there's some similar terminology there of uncovering the nakedness of your father um, in some kind of uh, obviously heinous act that Ham could have done. Um, that is one of the thoughts that ha- that uh, of Ham's actions. Um, another one, um, it would be a little bit more literally here from just this text that Ham's actual sin was that of reporting back to um, his older brothers what Noah had done about Noah's shortcomings and failures. Personally, between the two, I would say that I lean more towards the secondary one because there's almost this bookend effect that happens. So you have Ham, who has um, seen his father's nakedness and then goes and doesn't um, do anything about it, but goes and reports it instead, like sharing the shame and publicizing it. That's contrasted with the other bookend of the two older brothers who acted faithfully and covered their father um, and, and didn't even look at him. There's emphasis there that they did not even look at, his, at their father. So it seems to me that there is actually something more like maybe even possibly mockery that is happening on Ham's part. Um, but in turn, ultimately... It doesn't really matter. What, the, the focus of this passage isn't on what exactly is condemned here from Ham. The reason I say that is because we have other passages, and God is going to go through extensive lengths to clarify how godly living should be in later passages and chapters, the, um, in later books as well. Um, but here in the book of Genesis, the purpose of this is to unfold, like, what, what, where, how did we get here? As you're reading this, how did God's people come about? So, with that being the main drive of this, this passage in, in the book, I don't think it's as important to know the details of what Ham did there as much as the fact that Ham did fall short and brought the shame upon his father. We talked a little bit about how Genesis 9, kind of, or even previous to this, this passage, how there's some echoes of earlier in Genesis about God creating... Um, uh, creating a new world from from Noah and his family, <clears throat> how that echoes the conversation had with Adam and Eve. Here we see another echo of Genesis three, again, almost as if a second fall 
that takes place. We see themes of nakedness and shame. We see um, blessing and curse. And not also that, but we also see a covering. See, because here in this situation, we have um, Ham and, uh, or sorry, Shem and Japheth, who cover their father. So there's a covering that takes place, and there's more on that too, in a moment. But again, now that we've taken a look at the macro, we've seen how this plugs into the larger story of God's word. I want to take a look a little bit at the micro. How does this work in our lives? Because here we have God being gracious, as God is gracious to us all the time, every day, followed up with a falling short. And if you're reading this and, you know, you're the first time readers or hearers of this story, there's an aspect of like, man, like, isn't it enough? Like we continually fall, like we are doing it again. And that's the case, I think, even for our lives. Um, I know that it's the case for me. Sometimes even, uh, if I can get even more specific, I feel like sometimes my, my greatest shortcomings come like on the heels of like my greatest victories. Um, I don't know if that's a, a pattern that you see for yourselves, but days where I've seen God's grace in a tremendous way, I may like follow that up with being incredibly selfish or self-absorbed or focused on myself, which because it follows this gracious act of God or just him being good to me in general, there's a little bit of despair. Like, how can I do this again? How can I fall into this again? How can I believe these lies again? And maybe you're like me and you find yourself in this repetition of that struggle that keeps, um, you'll keep running into the struggle of your own sin. But I want to distinguish this moment from Genesis 3, the original fall, in an important way. Because I think that it's important to recognize this in this moment because I think it also applies to us in our, our everyday lives. There's one major difference between the fall in Genesis 3 and here the fall in Genesis 9. It's that in Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve and we see their failure, right? And there's almost no redeeming factor about that. There's simply just the fact that they've made this decision. They've plunged their life and their world into this curse. And God graciously um, sees to it that he promises that he will undo those things. But that, that's the entirety of it. Here, in Noah's case, we have a little bit of redemption, a little bit of a different situation. You see, when Ham and Noah had fallen, and Ham goes and tells his brothers, like Eve went to go tell Adam, it stops there. Adam partook in the sin, but Ham, or Shem and Japheth do not. See, they stop, and they turn, and they do what God did to Adam and Eve. They cover Noah's nakedness. God covered the nakedness of Adam and Eve with the skin of animals, but Shem and Japheth cover their father. And so we see this little illuminating act of grace, a little bit of difference in the situation, now, that's not to say that, you know, that this whole situation is totally different, but I think it's noteworthy to notice that here we see a little bit of God's faith being carried out from Noah to his sons. 
And that's, again, the big picture. If we look at, the, look at our own lives, it can be easy to be in despair over our shortcomings and our failures. But I think that's something that's important is recognizing and giving credit for, to God when he does little acts of grace in our hearts and lives. So, yes, maybe you struggle with being impatient, right? I know I say the words like put on your church plants way too many times to my children in the mornings, right? But, like, there, you know, there's this active impatience that can happen, right? But recognizing, like, you know, I'm a different father now than I was a year ago or even several months ago. Recognizing that God, even though it's on a slower timetable than maybe I would want, God is slowly working in me. And there's things that I work on in my life that God is slowly bearing fruit in. So here, not all is lost. The brothers did act faithfully, and they covered the shame of their father instead of just, let, instead of just doing what Ham did. And we should also recognize the little graces in our life of God redeeming us and changing us slowly, being thankful for those things. So we've looked at this level of despair that can happen from another fall, right? We've seen how that can play out in our own lives. Now I want us to look a little bit about the uncertainty of life circumstances. Um, The uncertainty of life circumstances. So this here uh, takes place in verses 24 and 25. And so here it says, When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. I think it, it was so Jacob mentioned last week that up, up to this point, we actually haven't heard Noah speak. So I do think it's interesting that his first words happened to be a curse uh, upon his son. But not just his son. Keep in mind, again, his son being his youngest son being Ham, that his curse actually goes beyond Ham to Ham's youngest son, Canaan. So there's a level of severity. Not only are these the words recorded by Noah, like a curse from God through Noah. But also we see that the curse goes beyond Ham to his youngest son, Canaan. And there's some significance there. First, I'll just mention kind of in passing um, that let's remember that that Ham was included in the blessing given to Noah and his sons earlier in this chapter. So God had already blessed Ham. And now he is going on to give a cursing. But his curse, um, I think significantly, doesn't land on Ham, goes to his son because there's already been a prior blessing of Ham. Um, That's one aspect, one application um, that I I pick up from that. The the second thing that it does is it kind of like brings us a little bit out of the bubble of this story to bring us to the readers of this passage. The original intended audience of this passage would be the people of Israel. And while they're waiting specifically to go into a land promised to them. That land, the land of Canaan. And here, twice we actually see it, earlier in the passage, uh, in parentheses, it was Ham, the father of Canaan, in parentheses. Who is that reference for? I believe it's for the readers. And then also the curse, it says, curse be Canaan, 
Um, oh, and then, sorry, before that, um, Ham, it also says in verse 21, Ham, the father of Canaan. So twice in an aside format, it t- mentions that Ham is the father of Canaan. And then the curse goes to Canaan. I think that that's significant because of this, this scenario that's taking place. Because you have two uh, lines that happen here. So now is the first time that there's this deviation between, uh, between a blessing and curse people. This is the first time that it's kind of mentioned, and it's going to be going forward through the rest of the Old Testament and the rest of the New Testament, this concept of blessing and curse. Now, we'll nerd out a little bit here because I think that this is interesting, um, and I think it's important, again, to the, the overall thought here. Um, if you were thinking about somebody who was going to be populating the whole earth and being Canaan, and he's cursed— what kind of cities or regions or towns would you associate, if you think about the Bible story, what would you associate with that group? And I'll just go ahead and throw some out here. From Canaan and Ham come the Philistines, the Amorites, Hivites, Sodom and Gomorrah, Babel, Assyria, Nineveh, Egypt, And I believe there are others, but these ones, I think, should suffice to say there is going to be some animosity between the people that are blessed and these people, the the people that are descendants of Canaan. Because each of these people show up in a significant way as an obstacle or some kind of pain point in the history of the people of Israel later on. Now we've thought about the curse, right? We thought about this line of the cursed families. Let's think about the, the line of the blessed families. Um, in short, I'll say this. Shem uh, is actually the great-great-great-grandfather. I didn't count how many it is, but it's close to that, of Abraham. And if we're familiar again with Abraham, Abraham being that um, the man who uh, is blessed, chosen by God to be the father um, of many people who are blessed by God. So we see these two lines that divert here of these two sons. So again, as you're reading, as they're reading this, the original recipients of these messages, they have in front of them a a land inhabited by the people they've been told are cursed. But yet they're still on the outside of the land. The cursed people are on the inside, living where God has told them that I should be living. So there's a level of God having not yet completed a promise that he said would come come to pass. And standing before them is a whole wall of fear, doubt, um, troubles, because they are going to be going into this land to take ownership by God's promise. But if that's the case, and we have this, uh, this wall of fear and doubt, there's a level of like, doubting whether God is going to complete his promises or if his promises were real here. This is going to be a constant struggle. Again, if we're going to be looking at the big picture of the Bible, now looking at our own lives, this is going to be a constant struggle for God's people forever. We're always going to have this level of God's promises being in front of us, yet ahead of us, and waiting for God to complete his promises. I think of things like the, the promise of death being conquered. Or 
that God's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. We hear these things, and they sound incredible. They sound like awesome benefits, but we still have tears, and we still see death, and there is still yet ahead of us a promise of God. But God has said that one day those wars will be over. The wars of death, of pain, suffering, sickness, they are ahead of us. And like the people reading this passage are inspired by the future hope to continue the fight, to continue moving forward, we're also encouraged to do the same thing. Yes, someday the problems of this world will be wiped away. And in that, we have the strength and faith to continue to, be, to do our part of loving our neighbor. That is how we wage war, by loving our brother, by serving those around us, by walking in faith in what God has said to be true. That's how we wage our war. And so we see that even though we can live in uncertainty about God's promises coming to pass, it does inspire us to move forward in faith towards him. And we also, um, I'll have more to say on this as well, because I think it fills out in another passage that we'll read in a little bit. I'll, we'll come back to that. <clears throat> so we've seen now the, the blessed and the cursed. We've seen these two, this diversion of God's plan here. Um, in a significant way, again, that's going to carry out through, help us understand the rest of the Old Testament. But we also have this third point here. It's hope in our God's consistent heart. And that's verse 27. It says, May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Now here, Japheth gets his own promise. So Shem was given this, um, this, um, the, the reality of the blessed Lord being his God. She, Japheth is given his own promise here that he'll dwell in the tents with Shem. And Japheth, I mean, which just sounds like a middle name, Japheth. Like, so I looked it up because I didn't want to offend anybody to see how many people are named Japheth. So since, since 1880, there's only been like basically 10 people a year that have been named Japheth since 1880. So I figured it was pretty safe to make fun of that name. But I guess like just to be safe, like if anybody here is named Japheth, like I'm sure you have a lovely personality. It's, it's good. <laughs> um, but in church middle child fashion, you have the, you have the old, oldest son who's uh, this blessed one, and you have the youngest son who's this cursed one, um, and Japheth finds himself in the middle. Why does Japheth get his own point is the real question. If he has his own point in this sermon, um, what, why does he get his own point? And to that, I would say it's because of this dwelling in the tent of Shem. It's this, this attachment that he has to the blessed people. See, because we followed Ham's, um, we followed Ham's descendants, right? The people who are cursed and all these different cities and, and uh, nations that are going to be a trouble to people. Um, but we've also followed um, 
uh, Shem, I'm getting them all backwards now, Shem's lineage to Abraham. And if you read the lineage, and this is all from Genesis chapter 10, it's just the next chapter if you ever, and Jacob's going to share a lot more about all of this later. Um, um, but if you follow Japheth's line, it's a little less noteworthy in terms of like the immediate fulfillment. But one of the things that it does bring up that's interesting, and the, I think the point here is that you have this um, this like summary of all of Japheth's uh, descendants as the coastland people. It's like these are the people of the coastland, which is significant because we know that later these are going to be the regions of Corinth, Philippi, Crete, Greece, Italy, Ephesus. If those names sound familiar to you, it's because that is primarily the line, like that's the tour that Paul takes in the New Testament in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. See, here we are in Genesis chapter 9, and we see this shadow, like a hint of what God's overall purpose is going to be that God does have a plan to include within uh, his blessed people, people who are in the peripheral, eventually these the Gentiles. This is a trajectory that will lead to this global mission that's going to go across the world of God sharing his love and including anyone he can possibly include to be his people. We're not even 10 chapters into the Bible and God is already looking forward to out, outside of just the people that he's going to be working with. He's already looking to a global mission where he can work and save those around him. And so in this point, Japheth is actually, is actually blessed by extension to be part of the people with Shem. And it's in this moment that we see that God has his eye on the end from the beginning. We mentioned earlier about how a lot of our hope and a lot of the things that we're waiting for are future endeavors, that we will see their full fulfillment when Jesus returns. Here, we're going to see a little bit more why that takes time, why we're waiting I think 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says it the best. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So yes, we are waiting, but why are we waiting? waiting because God is patiently waiting for those around us to come to repentance. There's two applications from this thought. I think that, again, as God is waiting for the, for the people to continue to come to him, there's two thoughts. One, one thought that I have is remembering that before we came to repentance, before you or I myself came to repentance, there was a lot of sin, sin pain, suffering, and sickness that happened before us. And let's not forget that God is the most affected by those, that it's against God that the world sins. 
and it's his people and it's his creation that are attacked or that become sick. God has patiently endured those things so that we could gather here on Sunday morning in Manchester, New Hampshire and worship him and enjoy being with him. That helps us to remember that we are waiting as well, and there's a lot of sickness and sadness and sorrow around us, but we're also waiting so that those around us that we get to graciously interact with can also come to repentance and get to know the loving God who waited for them longer than we did. So that leads to that second application. God is patiently enduring so that our neighbors, our friends, our family, anyone that God has graciously put in our path can come to know him. If you've heard the phrase, like, before you were a twinkle in your father's eye, which, like, if anybody doesn't get uncomfortable with that, like, that's, like, it's such a weird statement. But before you were a twinkle in your father's eye, it makes me uncomfortable. We realized that there was no moment like that for God. There was never a moment that we weren't in his sights. There was never a moment that we weren't the end goal. There are some theological traditions that would say that the church um, was almost like a plan B. That God had his plan A and it was going forward and then, and then that plan A didn't work out so well. And so God like created the, the church as the structure temporarily until plan A would work itself out. But here we have a better hope that from the beginning, God saw to it that his mission would be for everybody to be included. And so right here, right now, we um, experience that. We, you can trace this, I guess, um, if you think about um, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and then Japheth's people becoming the coastland people, and then eventually Paul going forward with the gospel there. And then that gospel spread to eventually Europe, right? And then eventually Europe um, traveled across the big pond over to us uh, here in the United States, before it was the United States, clearly. And then eventually to New England, and now we find our roots here in Manchester, New Hampshire, fulfilling that in the tents of Sham. One other application from that is also this, that the people of Shem were the, were the blessed people. And you had this category of those who came and, and had tents with him and enjoyed the benefits and the blessings of Shem. There's a reality that that's the case for us too. That we are this people, of, a spiritual people of Shem, for lack of a better term, and that people can come to us to find blessing. That we can share this blessing of our of what we've received in God, the goodness, the grace, and those common graces that we have, that we can share those with others. The main point of that, obviously, is that they can find their true joy in Jesus. But at the same time, we can just enjoy being with our neighbors, just enjoy living life, sharing with them, helping them, letting them help us. We can be this blessing to those around us as well. So we've looked at this story in two ways. We've looked at the story of Noah and his children in a big picture way, how this is not the end, right? We've looked at it. We've looked to see, is this a possibility that, um, that this is the, the answer to all the problems? Is this the seed of Eve that's going to take away the sin of the world? We see that it's not, that even in his warts, God did cho- choose Noah 
but he is not the deliverer. We've looked at how it does direct us to eventually Jesus Christ coming, dying on the cross, to make for himself a people from the whole world. We've looked at that. We've looked at um, the continued pattern of failure in the scriptures that direct us again to looking for the one who is, who is successful, Jesus. We've also looked at the hope for plan, uh, the hopeful plan that God has. His heart has always been the same, that he's looking for to, to redeem a people from the whole world. And we've looked at that as the big picture. On the small scale, we've reminded ourselves that, yes, we are all working on something, and sometimes sin does enter back, at, and not sometimes, sin does enter its head back into our life on a repeated basis but to give credit to God for the small victories that he's allowed us to have, keeping our eye on the fact that God is, is slowly growing us into the people he would want us to be. We've looked at um, the future of God's promises, that they will come to pass and they inspire us today. And then we also remember that as we leave here, that we're empowered to know that God has had his mind set on this time and these days with the people that we interact with on a daily basis. That his love and patience is what fuels him and what fuels us as well. So with that, we'll be encouraged and leave here. Let me pray for us as a church. God, we're grateful for your word. And God, that even in these early moments, we see that you're in control and that, yes, things can seem dark, but God, you do give us little glimmers that you're working, that you have your eye on us. And so, God, I pray that you would give us strength to um, go from here and be empowered by those things, those realities. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.